life. This is the last message in our series, Home. Have you ever noticed something? That neighborhoods are different, right? We live in a neighborhood right now that's awesome, and uh, people sit out on their porch. They come and over and bring you cookies, which is great, right? Uh, they, they stop and talk to you. They help when you need help with something. But we've also lived in neighborhoods uh, that weren't like that. We've lived in neighborhoods where people kind of put their head down when they drive by or look in the other direction or act like they're on the phone. Um, or they, uh, when you take your trash out, they make sure that they get inside real quick so they don't have to talk to you. That's what I do anyway. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we've lived in neighborhoods that are like that too. Uh, and then there's also those houses sometimes on the street that uh, are like Mr. Myrtle's house on the, the James Earl Jones character in Sandlot right? They're boarded up, the fence is 10 feet high, and they got a dog in the yard called the Beast, right? There's houses like that on our street every once in a while. And our soul can be like that as well, though. Our soul can be open and welcoming, or it can also be closed off. Many of us weren't always like this, though. Somewhere along the way, we got hurt whether it's trauma in our past or relationships that were broken, emotional scars, every time we get hurt, we close up a little more. And sometimes it happens without us even trying. We shut people out to protect ourselves. And sometimes it is necessary. We talked a few weeks ago about how our friends determine our future. And in 1 Corinthians 15.33, it even says this, that bad company ruins good morals. So it is sometimes important to uh, cut people out that are dragging us down. But the problem is, is that every time we cut someone out, it gets a little bit easier. And someone once said, start with the end in mind. And I think we all want to finish well in this life. No one ever says that I want to end my life alone and isolated. And I want to live my whole life for myself and material things. My kids never coming to see me, not really knowing my grandkids. No close friends. No one wants that, but people do end there. So let's ask ourselves now, where is my soul headed? If I continue to live the way that I'm living, where does that lead me? When I get hurt, how do I react? Do I react in a way that I would want to be treated when I'm the person that's doing the hurting? How do we respond when we are treated poorly? See, if we're not careful, our inward man can turn into that scary house on the street that all the kids are afraid of and no one wants to go to on Halloween. Judah Smith talks about how our life is like a circle and our mind, our will, and emotions live inside that sphere. And our natural reaction is to take that circle and make it smaller when we get hurt. We close ourselves in And we close in on ourselves because we don't want to get hurt again. And we begin to exclude people and give up on people and cut people out and make our sphere smaller. And sometimes it can sneak up on you. And before too long, you look around and you realize there weren't as many people around you as there used to be. And if we keep responding in that way, at the end of your life, you'll be all alone in your little circle. See, I'm glad that Jesus is in that way, right? If he always cut out people that did him wrong, we would all be in trouble. But Jesus doesn't cut us out, and God doesn't intend for us to be people that live that way either. 
He didn't want us to end up bitter and eaten up with unforgiveness. God wanted us to be characterized by love, mercy, and forgiveness. And not eaten up with all the things that are path. And you might be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor Phil. You don't understand what I've gone through, and that is true. There is pain in this room that I have never known. But the, the goal is not that we are best friends with everyone that's ever hurt us, but the goal is, is that we don't live in the past. The goal is that we don't become people that are closed off. Instead, we want to have peop- a soul that is open like Jesus. Peter made it clear how Jesus feels about those that have hurt him. And turn their backs on him in Acts 2, 38. It says, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And look at this. It says, for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, Jesus wanted everyone to come into his circle, even people that were far away from God. And in this context, it's the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the people that had rejected God and persecuted his people. He wanted all of them. Have you ever seen on social media people say things like this? Yeah, I may be cutting you out, but you handed me the scissors, right? Or there's this other phrase that people say a lot of times, and I'm not crossing oceans for people that wouldn't cross puddles for me. Praise the Lord that Jesus doesn't treat us that way. That is the opposite of how he treated us. Jesus didn't cut us off when we drove nails into his hands. He went to the cross for people that would never reciprocate that love. He was broken and spilled out and used up for us. Jesus has a big circle and we should too. So here's the question. If you continue to live on the path that you're living, how big is your circle at the end of this life? Are you defensive and protective and easily offended? And if I'm honest with you, there have been times that I've done some things to cut people out of my life that Jesus wouldn't have. I've let my temper get the best of me. I've taken things too far. I've gotten in a disagreement and let it get to the point where I stopped giving people chances or the benefit of the doubt. And it all seemed justified at the time. But as emotions recede and hindsight comes into play, I realized that I went overboard and I reacted wrongly. But see, God is a God that is characterized by love. And as followers of God, we should be characterized by love as well. So let's see if we stack up. What's the, what's the big chapter in the Bible on love, right? Anybody know? 1 Corinthians 13, right? We hear it a lot at weddings, but I'm here to tell you right now that they don't just apply to the people that you're married to, right? 1 Corinthians 13, let's check it out. It talks about love, and it says this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things. It endures all things. Love 
never ends. Are we patient with people that do us wrong? Are we arrogant and rude to them? Do we insist on having our own way? Are we easily offended? Do we hold things against, the, uh, against people? When wrong is done to us, do we bear it? Do we believe and hope the best of people? Do we give them the benefit of the doubt? Does our love have an end? So how do we keep our circle big? How do we have a life that looks like Jesus's life? How do we keep from being boarded up and closed off? Judas Smith's dad told him this. He said, son, I want to live in such a way that I could walk into a room and anyone that I've ever known, I could walk up to them and I could talk to them with a smile on my face. Man, that's a tall order, right? It shows us where we are, though. Angry and bitter, harboring resentment. But the truth is, we got to let it go. We got to trust Jesus. He showed us how to do that with his life. In 1 Peter 2.23 is an awesome verse. And this is what it says. It says, when he was reviled. What does that word mean? It means attacked, abused, offended, insulted. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Another version says this, that he left his case in the hands of God. Jesus was hurt and betrayed and abandoned, but he left his case up to God rather than defending himself. When he was attacked and insulted and offended, he left his case up to God. See, defending ourselves and justifying ourselves and protecting ourselves, in the end, it is all empty, wasted time and meaningless. Jesus is our ultimate example of a healthy soul. Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you ask forgiveness for the people that you perceive are against you? Judah Smith goes on and says that there are two phrases that characterize people with big circles, big souls, big lives. And the first one is this. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. When is that not applicable, right? When can we not say thank you for something? When can we not find a reason to be thankful? When is this not the perfect response? Old timers would say it this way. I'm still breathing, aren't I? Or how you doing? Better than I deserve. But what if we really lived in that? What if, what if we every day we realize that it was a gift and a blessing and every moment is precious and even in the pain I can find something to be thankful for? Now, I've had three times in my life where I've really fought depression. I didn't really realize it in the time and in that moment. Uh, but looking back, it's clear that that's what it was. And there's something in common with each and every one of those times. First, I felt wronged. I felt wronged. And I also felt innocent. I felt like I was being wronged, but I didn't deserve it. I felt like someone was doing something against me, but I wasn't the one that was making the mistake or living in sin. I get stuck in this victim mentality that I am innocent, but I'm being wronged. And living there has been some of the darkest times in my life. But the truth is, is I'm not innocent. I'm not innocent. 
None of us are. You are a sinner that has constantly broken God's law. I am a sinner that has known and, and know, uh, knowingly broken God's law over and over and over again. But thank God for that unlimited mercy and forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. Thank God I'm still breathing. Now I'm doing better than I deserve. I am not innocent. I can thank God in those times when even I'm being sinned against because I have been a recipient of mercy and grace. And the only reaction for someone that really understands that is more mercy and more grace. Thank you, God. I've got an amazing wife, amazing kids. God has blessed me more than I ever deserve. I don't deserve any of this. If I was to get what I deserved today, I would be in hell. We talk about, I don't deserve this. Hey, praise the Lord. We're way better off than what we deserve. Thank you, God. The truth is, I'm not innocent. And the truth is also is nobody's ever really sinned against me. It's against God. David said it this way in Psalms 51. Speaking to God, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. Wait a minute here, King David. You had an affair with Uriah's wife. Okay, come on. And then you sent him to the front lines to get murdered. But against God and God only have I sinned? That's the truth, is that the only sin is against God himself. Why? Because he's the only one that is holy and just. He is our creator. And every sin is first and foremost against God. See, sin is really never against me. But see, we get stuck in these arguments of one sinner calling another sinner a sinner. And that's where we live. We live in these angry moments of, well, you're a worse sinner than I am. But the truth is, we live in sin against God. But he had mercy and grace and forgiveness for us. See, the right perspective is that sin is first and foremost against the holy creator of the universe. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. Men that have their spirits heated and enraged and rising in bitter resentment when they are injured act as if they thought some strange thing had happened to them. They are very foolish in so thinking, for it is no strange thing at all, but only that is what to be expected in a world like this. Don't be surprised when sinners sin against you. It's in the name, right? They're sinners. Don't be surprised when you sin against somebody else. We're sinners. But the truth is, is that God loves us anyway. And he forgives us anyway. And the only reaction is to do that and to pass that on. We live in a fallen world. And when you're sinned against, leave the case in God's hands. We are blessed to know that even though we were sinners and we offended God, Christ still died for us. So in those times of depression, I have to remind myself that I am not innocent and that person that I think is sinning against me is actually sinning against God and that's a far more scary place to be. But thank you, God, that I'm still breathing, even though I've sinned against him over and over. I'm doing far better than I deserve. See, people that are truly happy are thankful and grateful people. If you want your kids to be happy, don't let them live in a victim mentality. Take it from me. When I have lived there, it has been the most unhappy times in my life. Teach them to thank God in every circumstance. Teach them to be grateful. 
Last week we saw in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. The second phrase is this. People with big circles, first they say thank you, and second they say how can I help? How can I help? And that's hard. Especially when I am in one of those days where I want to say, who's going to help me? And the truth is, and you hear this often, that hurt people hurt people. But it's also true that hurt people can help people. So you can use your pain to help somebody else. And when we live in ourselves in this pity party, really what we're doing is we're living in self-centeredness. And we're thinking about us and how we've been hurt. But when we take the focus off of us and we move it on to someone else, it changes our lives. You can use your pain to connect with someone else. 1 John 3.16, this is an awesome verse. It says, by this we know love. How do we know love? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And what should we do in response? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Man, that hits us right in the heart, right? It tells us because of what's been given to us, we have to be givers. And we cannot say that we love God and just talk about what we're going to do and about how we should do something. We have to do it in word uh, and in deed. See, big uh, circle people say, how can I help? We as Christians cannot close our heart off to those around us in need. That's not love. So enough words and talk, we need deeds and truth. These two phrases, thank you and how can I help, are such simple things. But when you think of open people, people with big circles, I can guarantee those phrases are used often. And I could go around and I could have some people stand up and say, hey, this is someone that I think of as an open person, someone with a big circle that doesn't cut everybody out. And I can guarantee they would be characterized by these two phrases. So how can we get there? How can I be that type of person? Well, it takes work. It takes being intentional. It is not natural for us to be thankful people. We want to complain and we want to talk about what we don't have instead of what we do have. And we want people just naturally to help us rather than us helping them. And even when we do help people, we really are expecting something in return, which isn't really helping at all. It's just a transaction, right? I don't want to be that type of person. I don't want to be closed off and boarded up. I don't want to cut everyone out of my life that ever does me wrong. I don't want to have a small circle. At 70 years old, I don't want to be that man in the neighborhood that the kids are afraid of, that is yelling at people to get off of his lawn. I don't want to be critical and judgmental because I think I know everything. I don't want to have a list a mile long of all the people that have hurt me. I want to be a far better follower of Christ than I am right now. I want to be more thankful, and I want to be more helpful than I've ever been. I want to have a big circle. 
I want my life to have an impact for the gospel. And the gospel is for people. And if I'm going to have an impact for the gospel, I have to have an impact on people. And therefore, I cannot shut myself off to everyone. I don't want to be that old man from up, right? Who flies my house to the edge of a cliff because the pain drove me to isolation. And if I don't want to end up there, then I have to make sure I'm not on that path. On this Palm Sunday, we remember how Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem and they shouted Hosanna and they laid down palm branches for him to walk on. But before the end of this week, he would hang on a cross. See, people can turn on you quick. But instead of cutting everyone out on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is our example. That is our Savior. That is our Jesus. So don't close your circle. Leave your case in the hands of God. 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, when he was insulted, when he was offended, when he was abused, he reviled not in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, that's the problem is when we judge people, we're not just. We always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and not them the benefit of the doubt. Let's entrust ourselves to the righteous judge. So how does your soul find home? Is your soul healthy? How's your inward man? Not the people, not the, not the projection that you put out there, not the masks that, they, that we wear. On the inside, how are you really doing? Do you have an anchor for your soul? Who's in control? Have you isolated your soul? Are you closed off? Are you boarded up? We started this series with 3 John verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. We cannot neglect our inward man. We have to keep asking ourselves, how is my soul? We got to keep looking in the mirror and saying, in reality, where am I really at? Is my soul resting in a relationship with God? Is my soul at home? Let's stand on our feet and bow our heads. Worship band's going to come. It's message number six in our series, Home. And this is the last time we're going to talk about it for a while. How am I really doing? And as we bow our heads and close our eyes, this is a time to reflect on what God spoke to your heart about. Are you a person that's always giving people a piece of your mind? Are you a person that's always giving back? Well, he started it. Thank God Jesus wasn't that way. Leave your case in the hands of God. It's a much more free place to be. Are you a person that's thankful? Or are you a complainer? Are you a person that's constantly looking to help people? Are you the person that's a consumer of people? And you take people's time and you use them up. Don't be that person. Because in the end, that person is just self-centered. And when you're centered on yourself, you're all alone. 
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, this is a time for you to meditate and ask yourself, how, how is my soul? How am I really doing? I know I react to people when they ask me how I'm doing. Oh, I'm doing good. But really, how am I doing? As the worship team plays, the altar's open this morning. This is a place of surrender. It's not a magic place. And yeah, people, you might say, might think that I'm a sinner. Well, we are. Come on. God's telling you to come, you come. 